The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. This one's called A Smile Rearranged. It's as if I'm standing still, orbiting a collective will, a string tied taut with me caught and then applied to the world. But I'm soon to be hurled off course by a planet dying, an imploding supernova defying my steady cause, eroding in space where matter is grace, how it recombines at the pace of a pause and redefines the cold landscape that I mine during my time without time, behind the unseen, beyond reason and its fallible doctrine, where life is no beginning and no end, and where being is winning and everything else is pretend, a pantomime that I will no longer attend to nor pretend to partake in, for how can I forsake this gift that I am to conceive a belief where I'm adrift in grief, believing that I'm alone, a clone of mistrust and misfortune spawned from the seeds of society's ill deeds and soon to be dead, in a bed, in a room, in a house, my tomb full of things that were never enough, a life spent collecting not wisdom but stuff, experience traded for faded belongings, a smile rearranged for a tear, joy exchanged for fear, life in a prison for the free, all this when all I need do is just be. are tuned to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM, the world's most radio art station. This is me, Simon Tishko, and you've just been listening to a poem by an Icelandic member of parliament. Um, isn't that kind of cool that there's actually politicians out there who actively write poetry? And today we're going to be speaking with Haldora Morgensen is, um, I have a fear of saying that name in case I mispronounce it, but hey, let's go. It's Haldora, known as Dora, and Haldora is a member of the Icelandic Pirate Party, which is an organization I'm sure many Resonance listeners have heard of. It's springing up all over Europe in direct response to the changing nature of communication through digital media etc 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 and the need for a whole new paradigm with which to understand and perhaps govern these things it's a big area but i was drawn to iceland this week having seen an article where haldora and some other members of the pirate party have proposed um they've made a proposal to the Icelandic Parliament, suggesting a basic wage should be looked into. That's the notion that absolutely every citizen of Iceland, regardless of employment status, will receive a basic living wage. And this has really massive economic ramifications, cultural, social, political, etc., etc. Never mind creatively, let's don't even touch on that because that's too big. And we're going to talk about that and a number of other subjects today on Isotopica. Um, this is a Skype conversation with Aldora and the poem we've just been listening to was called A Smile Rearranged. That may well repeat later on in the episode, haven't yet decided. Anyway, pin back your very discerning Resonance FM listening ears and uh, let's hear what's happening all the way up there inside the Arctic Circle. Let's go to Iceland. Let's have a visit from Aldora, Haldora Morgensen. 
There we go. We're actually recording now. Okay. So, um, hello. Welcome to Resonance 104.4 FM, the world's most cuddleable international arts radio station. Thank you. Um, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. So your name's Dora, and yeah. you're a member of the Pirate Party. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I'm a, um, a deputy MP for the Pirate Party. Fantastic. Tell me, can you just tell me a little bit about it, rather than me asking pointless questions from the edge? Explain to me exactly what what it is you do. Um, for the pirate party. Um, yeah. Let's let's start off with the pirate party. Give us an idea of actually what the pirate party is, because it's something a lot of us hear about. I, I certainly do hear about it on my Twitter feed all the time and just all over the place. It's a news thing, but sort of. A little bit specifically, maybe you know, in terms of Iceland, what you're doing there, because I know Bigerta, uh, Bigita, is yes. a member of the same party, and she's been on Isotopica before. Right. And um, the the pirate party seems to prop up, pop up in all of the right places, saying most of the right things. So, okay. tell me, tell me more, please. Well, mainly, I guess it's the idea of um, decentralizing power and bringing it to the people, so taking it away from these elected officials and bringing more of a kind of di direct democracy so that people actually have a voice and have a say in, in policies that are being written and, and voting on specific policies rather than, rather than just having the vote at once every four years and then being disappointed and none of the promises being uh -huh. upkept. And, uh, that's kind of the main idea behind the pirates. It's about using... I actually listened to a very interesting TED talk. Um, there's a lady who's from Argentina, where they have the net party, and it's a very similar idea. She talked about using... that we're using uh, yesterday's tools to fix today's problems. Nice. nice and that work. really kind of rings true to me with what's going on. It's a very outdated system, mm -hmm. or outdated model that we're working with. And, the pirates are just about going in there, looking at how the system works, kind of hacking into it, and uh, bringing today's tools to, to fix the problems. Yeah, it's it's all the terms you use are all very digital terms, and the notion yes. of the notion of um, pirate. I mean, I'm I'm a chronic downloader. I've been downloading since Napster days, and. And is, is that anything to do, because I always think Pirate Party has something to do with advocacy for file sharing, changes in intellectual property rights and things, is that, yes. is that correct? That's, yes, that's also one of the main stances of the Pirate Party, is to kind of reform copyright laws, because if they're impossible to uphold, like the laws are impossible, you can't really follow the laws of today without kind of destroying the internet or breaking it a little bit. So it's mm -hmm. not about, we're not advocating for, um, you know, stealing music or, or movies or kind of file sharing, but we are advocating the looking at the laws and the systems and, and finding a better way so that they're actually implementable and, and work in the benefit of everyone, artists included. Of course. It's um, whenever, you know, people I discuss it because I'm a creative artist myself, so I make stuff, and lots of my friends, musicians, filmmakers, etc., where obviously there's a controversy with file sharing. People I know that work in publishing and within record companies, they just absolutely refuse to do it because mm. on principle, which is fine. And I kind of have a facetious saying, but it actually rings really true that we're taking part in a paradigmatic shift in the notion of ownership. Yes. And we're actively taking part in it, you know, so... Yes. Yeah, that's actually, that actually comes a little bit into this proposal or this idea for um, a basic income. It kind of fits into this shift of paradigm with ownership because I think people are looking at it more and more and realizing that it doesn't really make much sense that a few people own all the land and all the resources mm -hmm. and that the people don't have any rights to to the income of that land or the resources. 
in their own country. Let's 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 swing back round to the beginning of that sentence because I mean that's how I'm in contact with you now because I saw a press release yesterday um, about the pirate proposal for a basic income in Iceland, mm. and that's that's another kind of meme that's been coming up increasingly over the past two or three years. The notion of basic income as a sort of political shift. So. Tell me about your specific proposal. I know you're, uh, how many people are involved? I know you're specifically involved, aren't you? Yes, I mean, it's me, Birgitta, Jónsdóttir and Jónsdóttir, who are um, Pirate Party MPs, who are on the proposal with me. It was difficult to get anyone else involved, although I did try, but it's a very radical idea. And the feeling I got here in Iceland is that, although I see that and this idea has been rolling around on the internet and in many different countries in Europe for a really long time. I feel that I, most Icelanders have never heard of this idea. So okay. it was difficult. I think people, for me, it was more just about opening up the conversation. That's why I kind of wrote this proposal as I wanted to open up the conversation in Iceland. I wanted people to start talking about this and thinking about this. Um, I'm not tremendously optimistic about it being passed <laughs> and Congress. Yeah, just, just, let's, let's just say yeah, let's not get too pessimistic, you know, it's, it's, no. um, it's, it, it's a curious thing because I'm very interested, it's something I was, I was hoping to address or, or discuss with Birgitta at some point was how close Iceland came to the um, constitution, a sort of crowdsourced constitution and there was this incredibly exciting thing happening up in the north from, that's what I thought, from London and then suddenly yeah. it all collapsed, it just disappeared. Yeah. What happened or, or any, <coughs> do you want to talk about that? I don't really know if I may be the authority on, on, on that matter, um, but I think it has to do with kind of, um, it was an experiment in a way, and perhaps the experiment wasn't thought through 100%, like the idea of, I think everyone was very kind of in a time where they were feeling very hopeful about this being possible, and then obviously, you know, you have power play because you don't really want to change anything, I don't really want to change the constitution, and so they did everything in their power to kind of stop it. Mm -hmm and they managed to do that so but there's still a movement going on that are wanting to carry on this fight of trying to get it through but it doesn't look good who knows what will happen in the future mm -hmm. that's really sad but interesting to see the way the status quo overcame such a sort of radical and optimistic moment yes yeah i mean it is it is always like that. I mean, there's this, the status quo has a tendency to kind of hang on, hang on in there. Um, what was it? You know, there was a, a beautiful quote by um, Buckminster Fuller, uh -huh. who is uh, kind of a, an American neo-futuristic architect and systems theorist. Sure. He wrote. Uh, he wrote this thing here. Oh, my computer is incredibly slow. Aren't they all? <laughs> he wrote, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Nice. So that's kind of, that's proposing revolution, basically, rather than, than gentle change. He's talking of the revolutionary model, I guess. Or if you take the R out and just say evolution. Evolution, yeah, let's do yeah. that. I don't mind. I'm not, fuss, I'm not fussy about letters, I can let them go quite easily. Um, and to me that's a little bit about what the pirates are about. I think it's about kind of creating a new model mm -hmm. and replacing it. That's the idea. And as we always see, I mean, I, I increasingly I personally shift towards nihilism in rather than complete pessimism, I think nihilism because um, my optimism, my enthusiasm for change and for something better is just, just constantly defeated, as we see with your constitution, with so many things. Mm. And the, when we started this conversation, the thing you mentioned, um, that it's fairly obvious that something's broken, that we're using old-fashioned tools for a modern problem. But yeah. it's, 
it's that's that seems to be the model of the world. It seems to be the political model of the world. This notion of, I mean, if we look at um, you know the so-called the awfully named war on drugs, you know this 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 forty fifty year prohibition, which right. is so patently failed and so damaging and so huge, and yet th- the impossibility of that changing. Although we see little little flashes of light of that changing like in Paraguay and Portugal and places like that mm. so th- I prefer my nihilism rather than pessimism but you know. I, I thought for me I kind of the way that I see it is I see us looking at symptoms a lot and trying to find it's like quick fix solutions so we're we're looking at the symptoms of the disease and trying to fix the symptoms instead of taking a good look at what really is the root cause of the actual symptoms, like what is the disease. And I think a lot of that has to do with these elections that we have every four years, because these elected officials obviously want to keep their jobs, and if they're really looking at the root of the problem, finding solutions to them takes such a long time that they're not able to show um, show the successes of the solutions in their time period that they have before the next elections, sure. if that makes any sense. It makes perfect that, sense. That has to do with everything. You also have it in, in just in, in medicine, you know, it kind of permeates our entire culture of, of always these quick fixes. You look at these, um, you know, you have a headache, you take an aspirin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't look at why, where is the headache coming from? Like what's wrong with the body that you're getting a headache? Where to me, the headache is really just the blinking light on a dashboard of, of the car it's telling you that you have an engine problem and what, what, what our solution is, is to take the red light out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I actually, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, what part of me? I like the idea of that. I, I like the idea of driving along the motorway with bits of sticking tape over all the warning lights <laughs> on my car. But you only need to look at my car to see that's what we do. So perhaps a bad analogy, but yeah. Uh, that's, that's me veering slightly to the side there. Um, yeah. yeah, so you're talking like a holistic approach to things. Yes. And, I, something that came up when, because I had a conversation with Begitta um, at the end of the summer, the beginning of the summer or middle of the summer when Israel was bombing Gaza and mm. we were both up at four o'clock in the morning. I was listening to a live feed and recording it, which was, I, I then rebroadcast some of this live feed. And when we were talking, um, Begitta came up with a comment that she couldn't understand as fellow human beings, how pe- anyone could justify this this day-in, day-out murder of children in yeah. any political terms. And, and the notion was, I can't understand that there are humans like me. I can't understand how any other being. And it's something I've noticed that there's this divide. There's, I don't know what the proportions are, but a very large percentage of people are not interested in evidence, they're not interested in the reality of a situation mm. and therefore not interested in fixing things because, you know, evidence comes in. Well, also just people don't think that it's their job to fix things, like that's that's also just another one of the, like, it's been drilled into us, this idea of that we're supposed to, you know, kind of outsource responsibility to these elected officials and these, um, you know, professionals in the field who are supposed to be working on our behalf because, well, we, we're busy doing other things. And because also there's this idea of where most people are really kind human beings and, and, and don't want to see other human beings hurt, we mirror ourselves in these elected officials and think that they're also the same way, whereas they're thinking about things a lot differently than we are. Yeah. Drill things like collateral damage into people's head for a long enough time, they start thinking that that's acceptable. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, using the term outsourcing and um, there because it's, I was reading a, a, a really interesting article um, by, I'm not sure where I have to find it. I would read too many things, obviously. There is such thing as reading too many things, superficially reading things. Um, talking about how the neoliberal model, the neoliberal economic model, which has transferred into a sociological model mm-hmm. since the era of Thatcher and Reagan, how it's 
it's removed responsibility all the way along the line and infantilized that mm. adults in working situations, they're responsible to a line manager who's responsible to a manager above, etc. I don't work in that environment. I can only... Compartmentalized. Yeah, everything compartmentalized. And no one actually has any responsibility. Exactly. And the responsibility is shifted to a completely amoral algorithm as such, which is the corporate profit model. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. That's uh, that's 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 just that's the problem right there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think from from the point of view of radio, if we continue, all we're going to do for the next however long we keep talking is just agree yeah. on everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think nearly everyone that listens to Resonance probably agrees with us already. So we kind well, of. Let's, well, let's talk a little bit about the basic income then. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Let's yeah. go back to that. Plus, I want to talk to you about poetry because I noticed that. Um, a number of pirate um, activists all seem to have poetry listed there and that's that's just so unfamiliar with anyone politically active that poetry should be there and I think that's wonderful. So I, I do need that. Let's save that for later though. Tell me more basic income then, come Well, okay, so the idea is, I mean, there's, there's, two, there's two kind of issues that inspired me. Uh, about basic income, and one of them is just the human rights angle of it, and how badly the welfare system treats people. Like it's almost as if it's um, charity. You know, people look yeah. at the welfare system as charity, and that has an effect, a psychological effect, on how you perceive yourself and your place in society. And uh, that's not a very positive thing to do because we're basically disconnecting a large part of the population kind of from from society which has a horrible impact on democracy instead of if you flip that around and you look at it as a human rights issue like we have economic rights we should be able to have a roof over our heads and food and clothing and take care of our kids and that's a human rights issue now if if with a, if with a basic income it would completely change the way that people perceive their, their kind of um, part in society and that I think is one of the, the most positive aspects of it. The other, the other part of it has just to do with how we're evolving uh, regarding technology. Like there was this new report that came out of Harvard and The Economist wrote about it and it's about jobs in the future. Mm -hmm. um, it was called uh, Future of Employment, How Susceptible Are Jobs to computeri Computerization? And there they talk about just under 50% of all jobs in the U.S. are going to disappear in the next two decades. Okay. 50%, half yeah. of all jobs. And this is, I mean, these are the kind of the low-paid jobs, the jobs that don't need a lot of education. So what's going to happen? How are the welfare systems going to be able to cope with that? They're not. It's going to collapse. And I just think it's a little bit kind of irresponsible of us as a society not to to think about possible plans if that future came to being. And, well, that, that, that's already happening. I mean, look at America, because the solutions are already in place. And I think something that we have to bear in mind um, mm. there is that the, something I'm noticing more and more and more, and I'm, I'm actually putting together a study at the moment. I'm thinking of doing a doctorate, just because just that amuses me. I left school at 16, and I may be able to do a doctorate. <laughs> and, and I want to look at this binary that divides humanity because there were recent neuro studies um, which showed that people with a left-wing thinking, you know, uh, it, it's a scale, isn't it? The yeah. people with a left-field view and people with a right-field view, when you put them into an MRI scanner that completely different parts of the brain are actually yeah. active in answering those questions when you give someone you know you you put a situation in front a, a, a political situation by political meaning an interaction with another human being and right. so there's completely different parts of the brain actually lighting up and processing that information which explains to me why there's such a huge gulf because what you're describing there to me it's self-evident that we've got real problems that it is problematic that people should be disenfranchised and pushed out of their jobs but yes. in America there's already a solution to that that we're, we're already seeing in the gulag system 
Yeah. Um, they are imprisoning vast, vast, vast swathes of the population and turning them into profit. They make a profit yes. by putting people in prison. Not only that, they can't have a vote when they come out. Of course not. So disenfranchised. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. Now that's not that's not sort of um, people like us working out how to do the wrong thing. There's people mm. that believe that is the right thing to do. Right. Isn't that spooky? <laughs> I mean, yes, that is spooky. But at the same time, it might. I, uh, I don't know really how to how to find a solution to that other than I mean, I always talk about kind of this. It maybe sounds cheesy, but to me it's a little bit about a kind of a spiritual awakening also. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of feel happening a little bit. I, I feel like there's more and more people waking up to this change of paradigm, this change in reality. But that, that maybe that's just me being incredibly optimistic. I think so, yeah. It's yeah, not maybe. happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the... I mean, because it's interesting that something that's happened there, because I think we saw in the 1960s, you know, the, the onwards the 1960s, this notion of a sort of spiritual awakening, definitely yeah. a time of radical change. And right. that has been so perfectly commodified into new age stuff. Yes. Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's utterly been stolen from anything that's good. And, and everyone with um, non-evidence-based pseudoscience, blah, 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 and turning, you know, yeah. what could potentially be a spiritual awakening, but, think of it. But, but this is one of the reasons why I'm, you know, why I'm still in Iceland. I mean, I'm Icelandic, but I, I, I grew up in England, for instance, and spent a lot of time in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I've been here a long time now, and that one of the reasons for that, and one of the reasons I'm still here, um, you know, is that I really think that we have a chance of, doing something a little bit different from the rest of the world. I think with mm -hmm. such a small population that we're just a perfect, perfect place to try something really radical and, and different and, and seeing how it works. That's really and interesting. It's really I still, can't make I sense. still feel like our politicians, I, I still feel like our system has the chance to, like I don't feel like it's rotten to the core. And it's not as difficult as for instance in the US or the UK. Um, I still feel we have the independence and the possibility of, of, of making our own choices and doing something different. So that gives me a bit of hope and okay. I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's how it has to work. Like a small community does something and if it's successful then it, you know, the rest of the world sees it and hopes maybe tries doing the same thing. I don't know, baby steps, changes yeah. in baby steps. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense and I think that's why um, I, I, I'm drawn towards Iceland. There's something um, I've always, I don't know, my father was Polish and I think there's part of me that's drawn to the northern steppes. Sorry, I've got, my voice is going. I'll turn this incense off. That's okay. And, um, but, but part of it is seeing that, that possibility there of, of a sort of radical, because you've got the numbers and you've got society. I mean, didn't you, have you made such a radically different move around the financial crash, that rather yes. than, you know, we just paid all the money into it. Right. Haven't you actually kind of punished people as such and changed somewhat, or is that my imagination? No, I mean, a, a little bit, but it's nowhere near as radical as it, as it sounds, I think, to, a lot of people got away with, uh, with what they did, but sure, some, some, some were, were um, some were criminalized and, but like this, again, this is just one of those stories that I'm not incredibly familiar with, if I'm very honest with you. That's fine. But uh, basically not as much was done as could have been done. And I think a lot of that has to do with outside influences, like, you know, contracts with the, uh, with the, um, what is it called, the monetary, uh, International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Exactly. Yeah, loans from there and the stipulations mm -hmm. that come with those loans. And I think with anything, there's always these outside influences that come in and just... Of course. ...put pressure on a country to do specific things. I think we saw that with Russia when um, the, the Soviet Union was kind of being dismantled with Gorbachev, that there was huge, huge influence from America to mm. back Yeltsin and turn it into the kleptocratic state it is today. 
Yeah. You know, there were there was there was the chance with Gorbachev that it could have turned into this um, very very benign socialist system. Right. And of course, America simply couldn't cope with that notion, shall we say? So how how that actually happens? You know, we can only guess. You know, exactly. Perhaps, perhaps there is this big conspiracy. So what are you hoping to happen? I mean, in the immediate future, with your proposal as it stands. Mainly, I'm just hoping that there'll be a conversation. Good, yeah. I think that's really, I have, I think that the only way things change within the system are with pressure from the outside. Like you have to have, people in, the, in society have to start talking about things and have to start getting excited about ideas and have to start pressuring government because as soon as as soon as um, elected officials feel like there's something that the people want them to do, it's easier for them to take that step mm -hmm. and try to make it happen. Um, so that's that's my hope that that it's something people will talk about and look at. But I mean, the main thing again with this proposal is that it is it's 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 just asking the minister to put together a team to research the possibilities. It's asking them to to look into this idea and kind of map the different routes that we could go and calculate the costs, like calculate the cost of the entire social system and then sure. calculate the cost of how much it would be to pay each Icelandic person. Um, also just to look at to look at these these ideas of, for instance, in Alaska they have this they have this really promising system where they pay people from the oil. Um, everyone gets, every citizen gets paid, it's a minor amount of money, like 900 to $1,500 a year, um, which comes from this oil fund that they have sure. got. And that's kind of the idea of the, this common ownership of the resources and that everyone getting paid rent from these resources. That's the idea of basic income also, where the money could come from. Yeah, well, it's, it's I mean, it goes back, these economic ideas, we look, um, back to Keynes, some of, some of the smaller things that he talked about was that capitalism was a necessary engine to bring about social change to the point where we had, um, you know, we'd only have to work if, if that two or three days a week because we could actually produce enough for everyone's well-being, which right. is kind of got to be the thing that's underpinning what you're talking about, that, yeah. that as a society we can actually very effectively produce things. Um, but I don't even see capitalism functioning properly in this model because in a model where you have such a large part of the population like disenfranchised and they don't have this economic freedom so they're not really, you know, we talk about using your kroners or dollars or pounds to vote but if you don't have the currency and you don't have the ability to vote then mm -hmm. when it comes to supply and demand you don't have a, a correct picture of, of what the actual supply is. And that's like the whole basis of the capitalist model. So for it to function properly, everyone needs to have money to to vote in the system so that the supply and demand is correct. Yeah, well, I, I certainly wasn't suggesting that capitalism works. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's it's yet another broken model. There's so many broken models, and and time and time again, when we see things with the potential for change and yeah. to make a difference, it's like the internet. You know, this 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 big this pendulum of swinging when the internet started um, you know the free sharing of information and everything and now we're talking about a tiered internet system we know that it's turned into the most invasive tool of surveillance imaginable in the most dystopian way yes. As, and, and no you know even in the most hysterical imaginings we couldn't imagine the reality that Snowden shown us yeah. Um, yet, the, you know, the pendulum's going to keep swinging backwards and forwards because the same thing that we have from this amount of surveillance also means statistics and we can learn from that. If yes. You, if you use information, information is always going to be good. Yeah. Perhaps. No, definitely. And that's one of the reasons why it's so necessary to have the information kind of free-flowing and, and not blocked or controlled in any way. I mean, I see this amazing kind of explosion of data journalism, which I find incredibly interesting, where the, the whole like, journalistic paradigm is changing, you know, they're not having to chase down these stories anymore, but the stories are all over the internet and instead they just have to verify them and find the data to support the stories. Uh -huh. And 
this, I think, is a is a very good change. And again, I think this is one of the things that kind of our free society and democracy um, rests on is the idea of, of journalists doing their jobs and having access to this data. Mm. I put a lot of hope in that movement, all of this alternate alternate media, because um, if they're vigilant, then hopefully uh, governments will have to kind of stay in line. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yet at the same time, you know, the, the negative on that is that some the definitions of terrorism now basically cover investigative journalism. You know, they, yes. they, they shift the goalposts and the boundaries in such unexpected and poisonous ways. Um, yes. I noticed that um, a member of, is it the Swiss Pirate Party? He's being charged with data theft at the moment for uncovering an insecurity in the health data. Do you know about that? Oh, no, I don't. There's just, he's, he's one of the longest serving Pirate Party leaders, if there is such thing as a leader or uh, official. He's really young, he's like 25 or something. And okay. he went to visit his doctor and the doctor left the room and on the screen, and it's something really bizarre, like all athletes have to have a certificate to say they're fit to be an athlete. And so there's this, in, there's this enormous health database. The doctor left the room and he'd left a stick-it note on his computer screen and left the computer on. Right. And this guy had been digitally quite aware, thought, wow, I bet that's his password, and I bet it's the password to this huge database. So he took a photograph of it. Later, when he was at home, he, took, he, he couldn't resist, but he checked it out, and it was the password, and he logged in. So he documented that and reported it to the internet safety people, whoever that is. In, in Switzerland, they have... Um, you know, like there's a, you've got a data breach, then you can report it. And rather than saying thank you very much, he's in court. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're scared. I mean, of course. They're scared of hackers. They're scared of, um, you know, obviously this is a control issue. Mm hmm. People are afraid of losing control. So hackers scare governments a lot, and that's why they're being prosecuted so horribly. I mean, the worst place is the U.S., I guess. Which, but, but by terms of that, I mean, that means everywhere. I, I noticed that the Silk Road, um, the servers for the Silk Road were actually held in Iceland. Right. And as the Pirate Bay, I think all the servers, or not, I know their servers are spread all around the world, but one of the main addresses for the Pirate Bay is .is, is that correct? Um, I think yes, so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's notionally at least this kind of um, little island of freedom up there in the North Sea, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the image that we have and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to fix things here enough so that that image can hold. Mm. But it's, it's not, it's not happening overnight. Absolutely not. I mean, it's it's one step forward, three steps back at times, isn't it? But you know, that's that's always going to be that's always going to be the dance between the left and the right, to use those as kind of fairly crude terms, perhaps, as um, progressive and conservative, regressive. Yeah. Um, tell me about poetry. How does that fit in? <laughs> I don't know. It's actually. I mean, Birgitta is a is a poet. Um, she calls herself a poetician. Yes, a I saw that. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe it's got something to do with thinking outside the box. Mm. Um, I'm also a poet. Yeah. Um, I noticed that on your Twitter, um, the whatever it is, the thing that says yeah. who you are, that it's got poet on there. So I'm not, a, I'm not a published poet though. I was, I was doing a lot of slam poetry, so mine is more about. What slam poetry? I don't know that. Slam poetry has to do with, it's more theatrical poetry. Okay, kind of more like performance. Yes, it's performance poetry. Okay. And I think it has to do with, with thinking outside the box, but it's also kind of, my feeling of pirates is that these are kind of a lot of people who have always been on the outskirts of society, you know, people who have always felt a little bit disenfranchised and who have kind of come together in a common cause, which makes it a bit of a difficult working relationship, but it, it makes it incredibly kind of dynamic and, and interesting also. I think that's the, you know, it's always been 
problematic with the left, once again, you know, using this notion left and right very loosely, but it, the left often fractures into smaller and smaller groups, you know, it's, it's, it's the old thing. And quite possibly that comes because there's so many ideas there, whereas you go to the right and there's very, very few actual ideas, so there's no... <laughs> You know, there's no need to fracture. It's basically build a wall and shoot everyone. You know, that's kind yeah, of exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, how about, have you actually got any, do, do you want to do, present any poetry? Do you want to just show us some? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I'm throwing that in yeah. there not to throw you, but if you got anything, because this is an arts radio station, so it would be ideal, wouldn't it? Okay. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Let's do it. Let me find something. Okay. It's I don't rely on my memory. It's not very good. No. It's as if I'm standing still, orbiting our collective will. A string tied taut with me caught and then applied to the world. But I'm soon to be hurled off course by a planet dying, an imploding supernova defying my steady cause, eroding in space where matter is grace, how it recombines at the pace of a pause and redefines the cold landscape that I mine during oh, my really time without time. Behind the unseen, beyond reason and its fallible doctrine, where life is no beginning and no end, and where being is winning and everything else is pretend. A pantomime that I will no longer attend to nor pretend to partake in, for how can I forsake this gift that I am to conceive a belief where I'm adrift in grief, believing that I'm alone, a clone of mistrust and misfortune spawned from the seeds of society's ill deeds and soon to be dead, in a bed, in a room, in a house, my tomb full of things that were never enough, a life spent collecting not wisdom but stuff, experience traded for faded belongings, a smile rearranged for a tear, joy exchanged for fear, life in a prison for the free, all this when all I need do is just be. That's amazing, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's good. I, I, I'd like to think that's kind of like a first that, you know, someone on our radio show to talk about politics as such and economics includes a poem in there. Fantastic, thank you. When did you write that? <laughs> Tell me about it. What have we been listening um, to? I wrote that a few years ago. I think that was probably one of my very last poems that I wrote because I, I haven't written for a few years. I guess it, uh, I was very kind of um, dramatic in my youth, you know, the hormonal imbalances that come with that. And yeah, I'm so familiar. I was, I, was very, <laughs> I was very sad, I guess. And then, and then I kind of found um, a contentment in my life. And, and now I wonder what to write about. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that kind that kind of useful angst does provide an awful lot of um, material, doesn't it? It does. Uh, looking at a lot of um, pop music and punk music and things like that, it's. Uh, I was looking at some old videos from the Clash, the early days of the Clash, and there's mm. so much angst there. Yes. So much real anger and angst, which it kind of I, changes. I guess, I guess for me, I mean. Being political, I'm not a politician. I, I, I quit school when I was 17. I probably have a similar story to you. I was an artist mm -hmm. and um, I was very angry and then I just wasn't angry anymore. And now I just feel a lot of love for people and um, kind of this feeling of wanting to participate in the healing process. Mm. And that drove me to the pirates a little bit because I, I wanted to partake in this movement and I wanted to do something which I feel is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a curious thing. I, I, likewise, I find a parallel there. I'm getting involved with lots of community things and um, <clears throat> quite outside of my usual remit, you know. I'm involved yeah. in a green... I live on an estate in central London. I'm involved in a greening project here. And I find myself out in the grounds planting bulbs with all these kids. It's kind of yeah. quite... I'm going, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Very bizarre. See, that's amazing. That's something that I would like, for instance, I would love to see that in Iceland. I would love to see these big greenhouses for every, um, every part of... Uh, like the city, every neighborhood should have a greenhouse. And mm -hmm. I think, for instance, these, for, for senior citizens, for old people, they should have their, 
like living quarters close to these greenhouses and maybe the play school should be there too and kind of I have this vision of of a community where where everyone is feels useful and feels like they have a place in society and that's one of the main problems I feel is that people are so isolated they're so sure. you know and, and it's kind of they feel disenfranchised and they're isolated that's one of the reasons why we can't get people to mass together and, and protest or, or um, talk about what it is that they want because people don't feel connected they don't feel part of the whole well it's it's it, I mean it's with my experience recently I've been really surprised I mean on this estate um, there's people that they, they actually there's people on the committee that I'm involved with who say they do not like green things they don't want trees they don't want flowers they and and, and I'm like <laughs> my God, what I, I do not understand. So it's very yeah. important to understand. This is this is why I'm kind of thinking of studying this because the notion that some people have such a different view of the world to me. So your notion of everyone having greenhouses and access. There's some yeah. people that would just want to break that glass because they'd hate the greenhouses. I mean, I think that fear comes from misunderstanding and fear. It's actually, yeah. it's it's what I'm understanding. It's a fear-based approach to the world. Yeah. Which once again goes back to that. Uh, it's actually quite interesting because I had this kind of epiphany moment not so long ago regarding exactly what you're talking about. Because you kind of expect when you talk about things like green, you know, and trees and flowers, it's, it's true. You expect everyone to love that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What's not to I, love? Exactly. <laughs> and then I was having this fight, which I was able to do because I've been unemployed for a year. And so I was able to put, I've, I've been able to put all my energies into activism and to, um, and I was fighting for, because there's a, just opposite where I live, they're tearing down this 106 year old tree. We don't have a lot of trees in Reykjavik, by the way, like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. just, you know, so it's not like we can just chop them down and it's no big problem because we have hundreds of others, you know, we only have three of these trees in Reykjavik. Yo that are that age, you know, so it's over a hundred years old and they wanted to tear it, they wanted to take it down and then they're going to build a, a big hotel and um, move these houses, like these old houses that have protection onto, you know, in front of the hotel. And so we really wanted them to keep the tree. We didn't care about the old houses, they can just be moved somewhere else. I know they can't be torn down because they're protected, they'd rather protect the houses than the trees. Mm -hmm. And then I was speaking to a city official about this, and he basically said in so many words that he doesn't give a shit about the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just wants to, to make sure that the house is okay. Yeah. And I just looked at him like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I think this is what's really interesting, that, that we, I'm saying we, I'm counting in there, we have yeah. to understand that there is this different way of viewing the world and going back you mentioned TED talks earlier on mm. um, there was a TED talk I looked at briefly where the guy sort of said into the audience you know who here thinks they've got a left-wing view or a right-wing view and of course because it's a TED talk yeah. most people were identifying as fairly left-wing liberal in American terms mm -hmm. and a few right-wing people and he was saying that you've got to bear in mind that human society and um, our political system, everything, we've evolved to this stage where mm. the left holds the right in check and the right holds the left in check, that there's a kind of balance there. And it's an interesting thing to bring on board. I don't know whether I like it or I agree with it, <coughs> but it's, it's, it's something I'm considering at the moment, that there has to be, I don't know what there has to be, I'm just considering it, so no, no conclusions I'm not, yet. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that there's any difference, I mean if you, if you talk about the US, I'm not sure that there's any difference in left wing or right wing. I think, I think it's the same people that are behind both systems. I think it possibly goes all the way round that you get, um, this is where I'm thinking at the moment, that you, for instance, you know, the socialist state, the, the, this really interesting welfare state that came up after World War II throughout Europe and Britain was amazing, you know, the stuff we had. And then eventually, the sort of people with the right-wing leaning mindset start taking positions of responsibility within that. 
Yeah. And then it changes back into something else. It's where you had trade unions as rather than being this amazing, wonderful body that were there for workers' rights and just do anything, or just refusing to do any work. No, mate, no, not my job, mate. You know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. So you see this constant spiral where we're all involved in the same thing and there is no sort of two separate camps, but we're all there together in the same room. Do you not, do you not think that heads of state are kind of chosen? Um, I don't know, I, I kind of see a lot of monetary influence. I see, I see uh, corporations and bankers who have incredible power and money. I kind of have this feeling that these heads of state are just picked out and they're picked out from either the left or the right depending on the trend that's going in on in society, like depending on what people are calling out for, but really they're in the pockets of the same people. I don't think it matters whether you have a democratic elected or a republican elected president in the US. I think the same applies for the UK. Yeah, it's, it certainly seems to be that case, no matter who's there. Yeah. The status quo hangs on. Yeah, I mean, it's the same agenda. There's maybe something that we don't know about, that there is this huge conspiracy that the royal family <laughs> in England are all lizards from another planet. You know, it's like, perhaps that's the case after all. It would actually make more sense for the, for the I, mad... I don't know about lizards, but at the end of the day, conspiracy <laughs> is really only when uh, two or more people kind of talk about things behind closed curtains. That's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it, it reminds me I must get some curtains. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bright in here. Well, look, we've, we've, we've talked, I think we're going to, this is going to be the whole edition of Isotopica on Tuesday, which will be okay. really nice. Um, I can hear the fans on my little laptop computer are spinning up, which means the recording we're making might be quite noisy in places, so I'll probably beep away and make some noises in the background and mix it in with something but it's a really nice conversation yes same same i enjoyed it um and well hopefully we'll have some more conversations we'll wrap it up here for the radio once okay. once again um haldora aldora haldora morganston yes or dora something like that haldora is that haldora i love that i want i'm gonna practice that accent once we've finished recording I just changed it to Dora when I lived in the UK because otherwise I, would, I was called Haldora and I didn't really think that was very nice. <laughs> it's kind of... I have a friend called Lucinda who's known as Lucifer. I think it's kind of quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a light there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's all good. So good. Really, really nice to speak to you. And on behalf of Resonance FM, thank you very much and good luck with this notion of the basic wage. If that comes about, I think you'll have an awful lot of Resonance FM listeners coming to Iceland. To... Oh, wonderful. I'll, uh, um, I'll, 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 I'll note that and talk to the politicians about that. That might be like an extra incentive. Yeah, that could, that could be the deal maker. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Yeah, have a really nice rest of the afternoon and um, keep in touch. Start with Jack, who's in Welling. Jack, what are they for? Well, now, James, first of all, I've got to, I've got to correct you. You keep saying UKIP are against and opposed to immigration. They're not. Why do you keep saying that? Because that's what it says on the leaflets. We're full. We can't take any more. We've got to pull up the drawbridge, to quote Mr Farage himself. The numbers on the leaflets that were being put through letterboxes in Clacton talked about half a million people have arrived here in the last few months, and we simply can't accommodate them, and none of them were in Clacton which is all true. Well, I've just answered your question, so yeah, none of them were in Clacton. Well, Farage doesn't say that. He, he, he consistently says a quality system and a control. No, I... So you, you, you... The question you asked was, why do I say that? And I'll quote you, Mr Farage, saying we need to pull the drawbridge up. So, admittedly, he changes his he changes his mind every five minutes. That can come under control. Well, a drawbridge, controlled immigration over a drawbridge that isn't there. Okay, we'll, we'll give you that. So, what do they stand for, Jack? 
have found for everything that the 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 majority of the country have on their minds, Jay. Yeah, go on. Some, for some reason, you don't understand. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. Well. Immigration, obviously. Well, they don't stand for immigration, do they, Jack? We're trying to work out what they stand for. We know what they're against. What are they for? They're for the fact of the, um, well, they're, 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 they're listening to, uh, obviously, what people want. What are they for, Jack? For loads of things, Jack. Go on, then. Well, tell me what they're against. I already have. Now tell me what they're for. Oh, they're for a fairer Britain. How does that work? A sensible Britain. What do you mean? It's common sense. No, it's not a policy, is it? A fair. We're all for a fairer Britain. We're all for. We're no, all we're for not, apple pie and mother no, love. No, what no, are they? Give elite. me a policy that they're for. No, but the elite. All right, no, are no. What are you on about? The elite are not for a fairer Britain. No. You mean the elites like people who pay four million pounds to a political party and end up as campaign manager, or people who donate a million pounds on the lawn of their stately home, or people who went to public school after a career in the city and boast about being Enoch Powell's chauffeur because he was the only one with a Jaguar? You mean elites like them, or a different kind of elite? A different kind of elite. Well, what kind of elite? What kind of elite, Jack? Every party needs money, James. Yeah. Are we going to get a policy that they're for? What, what you're going to march for? What are they for? Well, every party needs money, James. So let's get back on that point. No, no, no. The question we're doing today, the reason you rang in, the, the, the phone-in topic du jour is this. What are they for? I've just told you a couple of things. No, you told me common sense and, and fairness. Well, not they're not, they're not policies. The deputy leader of UKIP has stated that he cannot see the NHS surviving in its current form because it doesn't have any commercial competition. Paul Nuttall has deleted the tweet, but he's stated categorically that the NHS shouldn't even exist as a public sector service. So what are they for? Is that, is that, is that in the manifesto? What are they? I don't know what's in the manifesto because the economic spokesman made a speech at the conference and two days later the leader said that wasn't a policy at all. They don't think they've published the manifesto yet, have they? Well, you tell me. You're the supporter. What is in the manifesto? Oh, there's, there's too much to list right well, just now. give me your favourites, Jacko. Come on. The facts of open door immigration. No, no, we know what they're against, Jack. What are they that, for? That's the main, but, uh, hold on a minute. That is the main, the main question that everyone flips at the moment is immigration because it's destroying the country. I'll ask you again. Too much of it is destroying the country. I'll ask you again. What are they I for? Care, I don't care whether you could refer to some other, other, other things that oh, I would Jack. definitely not, not agree with. The fact that is they're, they're for the. The the uh, the closure, um, what do you say? You know, drawing the drawbridge up on the immigration and slowing it down a bit is all I care about. I, I understand that. Can you explain to me then why you think immigration was responsible for the problems of the people in Clacton, where there isn't any immigration? Because they know if they don't vote uh, someone like UKIP in, it will end up being down there like it is in loads of places in London. It's great. It'll be like what? What do you mean by be like what? Do you just mean it'll be full of foreigners? Oh, two, 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 yes. Okay. Oh, mate, I applaud your honesty. You have been tuned to Ice Topica here on Resonance 104.4 FM on your London dial. My name, as far as I know, is Simon Tishko. I have been presenting today's episode of Ice Topica with... A very special guest from Iceland, Icelandic Member of Parliament and Pirate Party representative, Haldora Mogensen. If you're interested in any of the issues raised in today's Ice Topica, you can find details of that on my website, being www.theculture.net. If you ask me, I'm not going There's all sorts of stuff there. Please log in. Drop us a message. Send us a line. Once again, a great thanks to my special guest, and hopefully we'll be hearing more from Iceland at some point in the future. This is me, Simon Tishko, signing off, presumably, but one never knows, for another seven days. Keep your ears locked to Resonance, the world's most delightful radio station. Art radio station. And this is me, this is Simon, saying goodbye for another seven days. Bye for now. Toodlepip.
This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.